It is conference championship game week of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how we doing this week? I'm doing great, Kelly. We made it. We have made it to the end of the 2023 regular season. We're just a few days away now. Conference championship weekend, like you said, the latest and final CFP rankings were released just a short time ago. We're just a few days away now from getting all the bowl schedules as well as finding out who will be competing for the national championship in just a few short weeks. But great weekend last weekend, awesome rivalry weekend, games in all three slots hit across the board. My Boilermakers able to come out on top for the Old Oak and Bucket. Very happy about that. We'll just start, and I'll ask you, Kelly, how you doing, man? Have you recovered from the game? Talk me through it. How is these? How have these last few days gone? Yeah, it's been rough, man. And you might be able to tell from my voice, it's a little hoarse, got a sore throat. Not sure what's going on there. It's not because I was like yelling at the TV. Like I really wasn't. Like in all honesty, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I feel perfectly fine in terms of like uh, sickness and health and all that. But the voice is starting to go. So hopefully, we can make it through this episode with what I have. I mean, King, from an Ohio State perspective, from a college football perspective, what a weekend. I mean, every single game we were looking at, and it felt like the weekend of what if, right? Like, I do the what if rankings every week, and people get a kick out of it, or people hate it, they think it's they think it's cool, they think it's stupid, whatever. I like doing it, it's fun, it creates some interaction, and it's, and it's I think it is informative to see, if you flipped the every one possession game in college football, what would these teams' records be, what would the rankings look like? I think that's a fun exercise. It doesn't mean anything, but it's a fun exercise. This was like the real life what if weekend King, because as we go down the board of like the CFP contenders, at least as they were going into last week, of course, Louisville gets upset by Kentucky. So it was already a a long shot for Louisville. We knew that, but they did, you know, have a path maybe with, with a lot of chaos. Well, Kentucky took care of them. Oregon took pretty good care of business against Oregon state in the civil war on Friday night, but King. All the other contenders, uh, sorry, not not Texas. Texas took care of Texas Tech, but all the other contenders, man, they got a scare. I'll, I'll save Ohio State, Michigan, but Alabama, kick that ending of the Iron Bowl. Come on, I, you can't draw it up, man. And and you know, I have the relationship with my Bama buddies, all the Alabama friends, and I have people that before the final play even happened were already starting to light them up. Bama lost, Bama stinks, and talk about the ultimate just. Out of nowhere play, Saban says they drew it up. No doubt he admits there's some luck involved in that too, but a 31-yard pass on fourth and goal with 20-something seconds remaining. I mean, what an ending. The Iron Bowl, nothing will ever top the kick six, but when it comes to just pure endings of football games, and we've seen some crazy ones this year, you can't top it at a game of that magnitude. Auburn thought they had it. They thought they outplayed Bama, and then nope. Just some greatness from the Crimson Tide. You you can't beat it. And I was a guy who thought Bama was going to roll. So the fact that it was a good football game. It was insane, King. And the kick six, that was 2013. Now you got the fourth and 31, the fourth and goal. From Ten the year 31. anniversary, right? Yeah. That, that's 2023. I'm just going to tell you right now. You mark your calendar for last weekend in November 2033, because apparently every 10 years we just get an absolute banger in that game. That was crazy. Alabama survives. Uh, King, here's one that's outside the CFP picture, but like BYU, they had Oklahoma State down huge in this game. It goes to double overtime. Oklahoma State pulls it out. Talk about twisting the knife. Oklahoma State doing it to Oklahoma, keeping the Sooners out of the Big 12 championship game. That was insane. Then you go to the Apple Cup. Washington State and Washington are tied late in the game. It's a walk-off field goal for Washington to remain unbeaten and continue to control their own path to the CFP. Florida State ends up beating Florida by nine, but that game was a lot closer than that score suggests, and we know it was a game of backup quarterbacks. You're in the swamp. That's a tough place to play, but Florida State, you know, did not run away with a game that many thought they might or they should run away with. Even Georgia struggled a little bit with Georgia Tech. Now, at the end of the day, they win by eight. Hey, that's a one-possession game, and the what-if, that's going to get flipped, Uh, but it's probably not indicative of actually a one-score game, but that's just, that's a team that you'd expect Georgia to be putting away much earlier in that game. Than they did. So, King, it was everywhere you looked, it felt like it was oh so close to being the ultimate chaos. It fell short, though, of actually getting those upsets. And of course, I can't not talk about the Ohio State Michigan game. King, okay, 
College football fans, I hope you liked it. It, it was objectively a pretty darn exciting game, you know, close, back and forth, a lot of things happening in there, emotional swings left and right. From an Ohio State perspective, I, I mean, the words, it's hard to do justice, King. It's deflating. It's demoralizing. It's disheartening. You you put in the adjective that you want. It, it, it just, it feels terrible. And it, I go back to what I've said before. I got so used to Ohio State winning this game. I really did. From 2004 to 2020, to 2020, Ohio State lost this game one time, King. Like, I, I forgot what it was like to lose this game, to lose the game. I don't know how Michigan fans did it every single year, just taking that and, and, and living with it because, King, man, it hurts so bad. And I, listen, no one out there needs me to tell them what it feels like when your team loses your rivalry game. We all get it. But it just, no offense to the other rivalries because they're all great. I love them all. Each of these last few years, King, there's been everything on the line. It's the East. It's the Big Ten. It's a CFP spot. I know last year how it turned out. This year, there's still a path for Ohio State potentially. We'll talk about that. But it doesn't hurt any less to think, man, your rivals, once again, ruin your season, wreck your dreams. And for as great as some of these Ohio State players are, and I, I'm thinking, you know, Marvin Harrison comes to mind as he's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft, right? And, and he could be a Heisman finalist, could be in New York. And He's in, he's a near the top of all these all-time lists and, and career career achievements at Ohio State. Is his third year at Ohio State? He's 0-3 against Michigan. Like that's something CJ CJ Stroud left last year, you know, goes he's a number number two pick. He still talks about I'm 0-2 against Michigan. Like I never beat Michigan. And so that that can't, that's with these players forever. And whatever they achieve, all the big things that are coming, it's not gonna define anybody's career long term, but they're always gonna remember. Yeah, I never got it done against Michigan. Peyton Manning, you know, a quarterback I'm very fond of. He never beat Georgia when he was at. Sorry, he never beat Florida, Florida when he yeah. was at when he was at Tennessee. Right, that's something he still talks about. And this is a man who has multiple MVPs, multiple Super Bowls. Like people remember your record against your rival, and so it's just disappointing, King. I don't know. You, you I mean, I, I've dominated here. Any thoughts on the Ohio State Michigan or, or anything else here? It's just. It really, it really hurts. I, I don't know what else to say. Credit to Michigan. They, they continue to find a way to win this game. And what else can you say other than tip your hat? Well, I, I will say that you are correct. For college football fans, I thought that was a very entertaining football game. And it was very competitive throughout. It was not kind of the blowout that we've seen the last two years. And, and when you play your rival in a game of this magnitude, obviously it's different standards. Ohio State now lost three straight for the first time since the mid-90s. That's not something that you've ever really been accustomed to in your life. You barely probably remember those games back in the mid-90s, right? We were three, four, five years old. But Losing to a rival will bring out a different set of emotions. And in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, the game, it's really not on the same level. But, I mean, Kelly, you've lost three straight. Imagine being a Kansas Jayhawk fan, now losing 17 straight to your yeah. rival in Kansas State. Now, oh. again, it's a little bit different comparison there with, with Michigan and Ohio State being the elite-tier football schools. But you have a right at this point to maybe start thinking about, is Ryan Day really the guy to lead this program? And there are some folks out there, a lot of Ohio State fans already turning on him. You look at the successes Ryan Day has had, but just about in all of the big games that he has now played in as the head coach of Ohio State, they haven't really gone well. And a lot of it, Michigan's, Ohio State's defense played well enough for them to win that game. Offensively, they made some mistakes this past first offense now that Ohio State is running, even with all of their skill set and weapons outside. You showed versus Michigan, you can't run the ball effectively. It's going to be very hard to beat them. And Michigan played a very controlled game. They didn't come through with the turnovers, that which has bitten them in the past. And they just flat out just played more fundamentally sound football. And at the end of the day, you have to tip your cap to them, like they said. But if you're an Ohio State fan right now, there are definitely concerns about the future because it is the momentum has completely shifted. Michigan has now dominated this series for multiple years now. It seems like there's no real sign of them letting up anytime soon. And Ohio State's going to have to do some internal evaluating, some internal soul searching here as to how they go about this going forward. Because at the end of the day, to Ohio State fans, Kelly, like you said, it, it's not acceptable. There is still an outside chance of getting the playoff, but they're going to need a lot of help this weekend. And uh, I don't like either of these teams. I'm sorry you're going through it, buddy. But at the end of the day, it's Ohio State. You've witnessed a lot of success over the years, and, and maybe you feel in some of the pain that, that that normal college football folks have experienced now or get to experience on a more regular basis.
Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. There's, there's no two ways about it. We are living in this reality. And King, I, I've said this before. I, I, my approach to college football, shoot, man, my approach to life, you know this, uh, pretty rational, pretty measured. Yep. Like I'm looking for efficiencies in everything I do, trying to be as practical about things as possible. I, I say I'm a realist. Well, our friend Mike Yoder calls me a pessimist. Like I'm a realist. I'm just viewing things through what I think to be a realistic lens and trying to see what the outcome of situation I think is going to be. I have two, somehow every single, I, I have two really irrational beliefs in, in sports. One is that every single year, King, I'm going to fill out a perfect March Madness bracket. I've got this model, this formula. I'm going to fill out a perfect March Madness bracket. We know that's not going to happen, but every year I somehow I convince myself, this is it. I've got the answer key. It's right here. It never is. Here's my other irrational belief, King. I, I, I believe this. When you're the head coach at Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, the football head coach, if you lose three in a row to Michigan, you're out. All right. So you're, you you would kind of agree with that sentiment that's from it. some of those. That's it. Yeah. And, and I and I don't I know that's irrational. You look at Ryan Day's record. You look at what he's achieved. But not it's in big games, big, man. He has failed in all of the big games. It's remarkable his accomplishments. And I, I I I don't like to and I and I won't like publicly advocate for someone to lose their job. So I, I'm sitting here saying it's an irrational belief that I have. This is not me saying fire, fire Ryan Day. I, I'm not saying fire Ryan Day. I don't think he should be fired. You look at you view it objectively what he's accomplished. Hey, it's not good enough against Michigan, buddy. You know that we know that everybody knows that get it figured out. Come on, you can you can do better. But the irrational fan in me says there was a time there was a point in time when if you lost three in a row to that school up north as it's called in Ohio. That's it. So I, I don't actually believe that. Just like I don't actually believe I'm going to fill out a perfect bracket. But those are the two things, the two areas that I really let myself get carried away with. And it, it, I really have to pull myself back. So anyway, King, all right, <clears throat> man, I didn't even want to spend that much time on it, but we did. You talked about, and I talked about, there's potentially a path for Ohio State to make the playoff. Let's let's talk about the playoff here really quickly because we don't have a guest this week. We decided, hey, we've got 10 conference championship games to talk about. It's the 10 pick'em games. Let's do a little bit different of an episode this week. Let's make it just you and me. We haven't done one of these in a long time. It's fun to just kind of get back to basics. I love having the guests. I love doing all that stuff. But it's nice just to talk you and me too. So let's look at this. This, the, this Tuesday night recording, as usual, the committee's released their updated rankings. King, let, let's start with the obvious. I think there are four teams that have a path to the playoff, that they, they control their own path, bar none. There is nothing else that matters. I think there are four teams... As I look at this, maybe it's actually five. I think there are four teams that control their path to the playoff. No questions asked. Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. The committee's one, two, three, four. If those teams win, regardless of any other game, if you win your game, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, you're in the playoff. Do you agree with that, King? I do agree with that. I, you said okay. five. I'm going to go ahead and say, I mean, I think we throw Washington into that conversation as well because if they Oregon. beat – I'm Oregon. sorry, Oregon. If they we throw Oregon in that conversation as well because if they beat Washington, they're going to be in. Here's – okay. He, he, the committee putting Oregon at five, which surprised me a little bit. I really thought Did Ohio you think, State – think, Okay, you thought Ohio State – I thought State Ohio was State was going to be the highest ranked one-loss team. When you look at what the committee values – King, Ohio State, their loss is to a, quote, better team on the road at Michigan, the number two ranked team, versus on the road at the number three ranked team. Mm -hmm. If you look if you look at, you know, th their best wins, Ohio State against Penn State, Ohio State against Notre Dame, I believe that Oregon beat Arizona maybe at 15. But Ohio State Utah. has to, quote, yeah, well, you, I don't Utah, even know who they're, you, who's, they're not who's ranked or, by the committee. Yeah, yeah I don't so, even know who you would consider Oregon's I mean, best win it, at the it, moment. It, if I go to Oregon's, I mean, they they beat uh, – no, they didn't play Arizona. Sorry. Their yeah. best win at the moment is, – is it, what, rank, from a ranked win, their best win by the committees? USC? Number 20, number 20, Oregon State. Oregon right? State, okay, yeah. Like, that's that's their best win. So, if you look at the best wins, again, as the committee defines it, not as I define it as from power ratings, but from the committee's ranked perspective, like, everything points to Ohio State being up there a, a, ahead of Oregon with regard to resume. The committee must have decided Oregon's just a better team, that we just think they're a better team. My, my power ratings don't even agree with that. It's very close, but, but I still have Ohio State power rated above Oregon. I, I think it's a mistake, but it doesn't matter. The committee has Oregon number five. That surprised me a little bit. So do they control their own path? Here's King. Here's, here's a scenario that would they get in? Probably. Is it a guarantee? I don't know. Oregon wins by a very close margin against Washington. Michigan wins. Florida State wins. Oregon wins very close. And Alabama 
beats Georgia by 10 points. So it's like it's a it's a pretty solid beat, solid win. So Michigan, He's, Washington, and Florida State all win. No, 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 no. Mi- Michigan, Florida State in, right? Because okay. and then oh, yeah. Oregon beat Washington. Yeah, 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 okay. So the committee's now looking at for two spots. And, and let's say, I mean, you could say Texas wins or Texas loses in this scenario. Two spots. Does the committee take 12 and 1 Alabama, 12 and 1 Oregon as conference champs, 12 and 1 Texas as a conference champ? Or do they take a 12 and 1 Georgia, a 12 and 1 Washington, who's not a conference champ? Like there's, you're taking two out of that grouping. I don't know that Oregon's guaranteed to be in because Alabama, they might say Alabama just beat Georgia and Georgia's been our number one team here for a few weeks. They were number two before that. Alabama's going in and actually Georgia's going in. Alabama with should not. And I, if, if Texas wins this weekend, in my opinion, there is absolutely no way that Alabama should jump Texas. So in that scenario, I, then te- te- Texas needs to be in ahead of both of those teams. Okay. So I, I don't I don't disagree with you to honor the head-to-head there, a game in Tuscaloosa, no less. Let's say for the sake of this that te- Texas – okay, so you're saying Texas goes in above them. So now there's only yes. one spot for these right. four teams, Georgia, Alabama, Washington, Oregon. Who gets it? Is it Alabama? Is it yeah, Oregon? Yeah, I, don't I, don't, I don't know. And, and, that, and that's a tough I, – I, we, we don't know the full criteria around that. I have my thoughts around that, that it would probably should go to Alabama at that point, but I, I don't See, know how you feel. So that right there, though, King, what you just said, I've outlined a scenario where you just had a playoff that didn't include Oregon. So uh, by your own uh, logic, uh, you playing some trickery over here on me, Kelly. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to outline. Yeah, okay. That's yeah, why. Yeah. That's why. So that's why your argument was that Oregon you don't I, want to include in that, in that, in that. Correct. Group. Okay. Like, that's I fair. think, I think if Oregon wins, like they're probably it. I think there's a very specific path, including like this game was close, this game was a blowout, this that, like all that. I think there's a very specific path that Oregon might end up getting passed up and the Pac-12 could be left out altogether. I, I'm not advocating for that. Anyone listening saying, Kelly, no, no. See, no. And, and I think if Texas didn't have that win at Alabama, the Big exactly. 12 would likely be the conference that would be that, left out. In that, But it's the best win of the entire season. So It's such a wild card right yeah. now, man. It's such yeah. a wild card. So that's why I have a list at four. I understand how you can make an argument for five. I think the outline. Well, I think you just changed my mind about that when we went right. through Right. And we're not saying that Oregon doesn't. We're just saying there's a question about it. The other four, there's no question. So, mm-hmm. okay. So now we've outlined Oregon. We feel pretty good for their chances to get in. Texas, I think, again, I think you and I are in agreement. You can't have a playoff here with Alabama and not have Texas if both those teams win this weekend. So Texas, really, Alabama really needs to be hoping that Oklahoma State wins, right? To, to knock Texas out of there. Here's here's what's interesting to me, King. I could see a scenario where the SEC is left out of the playoff entirely. And what what do you think about oh, this? So, don't get so me I excited know, here, Kelly. Right. So so Michigan wins. Washington, excuse me. Michigan wins. Washington wins. Florida State wins. Now you have three 12 and 0 Power Five champs. Alabama beats Georgia really, really close. Call it a three-point game. And Texas wipes the floor with Oklahoma State, wins by 24 points. You've got Michigan, Washington, Florida State. They're all in. You're not leaving out a 13-0 Power 5 champ. You're just not. So now, and Oregon's out of this thing because they've lost to Washington. Let's say Ohio State's out of this thing. They didn't play this weekend. So now you've got one spot, three teams, 12-1 conference champ Texas, who has a win head-to-head in Tuscaloosa over 12-1 conference champ Alabama. And you also have 12-1 and one non, non-champ Georgia, who just lost to Alabama. There's one spot. Who gets it, King? There is a, there might be, there might actually be a scenario out there where the SEC gets left out. Now, I don't think the committee would do that. I don't so, think. So, so, they who, would so leave. who are they taking? So who are they taking? They're taking Alabama. Even though Texas Right, and that's what, Alabama. that's what, I wouldn't do that. I'm saying that's what I think the committee would do. In that situation, mm. because the, at the end of the day, the SEC and Kelly, I, you know, this would be something I'd be interested to see with your numbers. But we all know the SEC still is the strongest conference in football. It's not, in my opinion, it's not. There is not a gap between the SEC and everybody else like there has been in the ways past. The mid-tier teams in the SEC are much more beatable this year, but it's still the SEC. It's still the SEC West, and I, I would never do it. But my gut tells me the committee would put would put Alabama in that in that situation. I don't think they should. That's just what I think they would do. Interesting. Yep. And I don't know what the committee would do. I, I would like to think they'd honor the head-to-heads here. I'd like to think they'd honor Texas over Alabama, Alabama over Georgia in that case. If they did, 
there would be no room for a, for an SEC team in that playoff. And my goodness, King, if we didn't already have the 12 teamer coming next year, we would absolutely have oh, yeah. it if the SEC was left out of the 14 playoff. Okay, so King, one more. We one might more have scenario. riots in Tuscaloosa yeah. in Athens if one all of the, over if, the south, all over the, all SEC. Over the south. Uh, what one more scenario, King? And then if you've got any, I'll certainly entertain those. Here, how about this scenario? Do, do you think there is a path for Ohio State? Yes, there is a path for Ohio State. They need a lot of help. But okay, I, I I was gonna try to trick you, but but you've just no, said you agree no, with they it. They need a lot of help. I mean, they're gonna need three of those top. They need Georgia to win, I think. Right? Georgia's the only of the top four that they need to win. They need Oregon. They need Oregon to beat Washington. They need Louisville to beat Florida State, and they somehow need Iowa to find a way to beat Michigan. So I so actually I disagree. I disagree with uh, a couple of those points there, King. Here, here's here's why. I think Ohio State's cleanest path. Okay. Georgia wins. Right. Michigan wins. Because even if Michigan loses to Iowa, Michigan's above Ohio State. So so they need Michigan to look as good as possible in the committee's eyes. That would be beating Iowa. So Georgia wins, as you said, to knock Alabama out. Michigan wins to keep Ohio State's, quote, loss looking good. Uh, Washington wins to knock out Oregon. Louisville knocks off Florida State to get the Knolls out of there. And I do, and I, and I do, and I do think. I do think that Travis being hurt in this, if you're comparing 12 and one Florida state to 11 and one Ohio state in that room, I think the committee would say Ohio state because Travis is not there. And it'd be as simple as that. I really do. So, and then the final piece of the puzzle, Oklahoma state has to beat Texas to knock them out. So Ohio state literally needs the exact combination of the five power five conference championship games to go their way. But I do think if that combination happens, it's a default. Like, who else are you putting in? There's there's no other team. You're, what are you going down to Missouri at right. number nine right now? That's ten and two to get in uh, at the number four spot. Like, no. So that's what Ohio State needs. Um, there are eight teams. You don't think in. there's any chance if Michigan and Florida State were to lose? I mean, that had to help, that would have to help their chances regardless. So you still think they would go Michigan? I mean, we talk about the head to head thing. So, so in the in the scenario. I think Michigan and Ohio State get in if uh, in that scenario. Like, if all those other things happen, I think Michigan gets in even with a loss. Now, Michigan is not that. That doesn't mean Michigan's guaranteed to get in with a loss. They're getting right. in with a loss with all those other things happening because here's how Michigan gets left out. Which we're going to talk about this game. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But if Michigan loses, they, they will be it. They will be knocked out. One scenario. There's many scenarios. But let's say Washington wins. Uh, Florida State wins. That's two spots, and Alabama beats Georgia. Both Alabama and Georgia are going in over a twelve and one Michigan, I believe. Um, oh, especially that, with the schedule that, for Michigan. Yeah, in that in that scenario, and so that's not even to account for what about a te- can Texas hop them? Can Oregon get in with Washington over them? Like, there's all that. So, like, Michigan just better not lose to Iowa this week. They're a three touchdown favorite. I don't think they will, but. Okay, so we've got eight teams still vying for this thing. Ohio State's the only one in that eight not playing this weekend, but even the Buckeyes do have a path, as we just outlined there. Four teams control their own destiny. Oregon, pretty darn close to controlling it. I think there might be one scenario, two scenarios, where they're they're in a little bit of, uh, of a question. Um, it's the, How are they going to – if Texas and Alabama both win, I'm very curious, how are they going to honor that head-to-head, uh, or will they honor the head-to-head? So, King, any other college football scenario, playoff scenarios you want to get into? No, I think we covered them pretty good there, right? I mean, outside of that, I don't really think there's any any chance outside of those seven or eight teams that we just mentioned there of of any other school sneaking in. So I'm good. Good conversation. I think so too, King. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get into the ten conference championship games. But first, as always, how about a word about our favorite sports apparel sponsor? That would be Homefield King. That would be Homefield, and I hope everybody went out and took advantage of the Black Friday discount code that we offered last week. We're headed back to our normal promotion this week. First time buyers on the home field apparel website using code variety sports will get 15% off premium vintage quality college apparel opportunities for some teams to, to rock their jerseys, rock their gear at this point in the season. But as you mentioned, Kelly, as we mentioned, great holiday gifts. You can never have too much of your gear. Everybody go check out home field. Absolutely, King. All right, we've got 10 conference championship games that we're looking at here. They're the 10 games on the ESPN Pick'em app, so we're reverting a little bit back to our old way, but we're not going to spend equal time on all these games. We're going to take them in order that they're listed in the app, which I believe does coincide with the chronological order of these games taking place. We've got two on Friday, King. The first one kicks at 7 on CBS Sports Network. It is New Mexico State 
going on the road. This is a game that's hosted by the, the team with the best conference record. That would be Liberty. Liberty ranked this week by the committee at number 24. Liberty's a 10-point favorite, King. If you have anything for this game, let's hear it. Otherwise, who's your pick and how many points? I'm just going to give a quick shout-out to both these coaches here. Jamie Chadwell taking over for Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Only non-Power 5 school with an undefeated record. And Jerry Kill, he's really revitalized that New Mexico State program. It's going to be a good football game, but I am not betting against Liberty Flames in this one. So I'm going to take Liberty, and I'm going to take them for nine confidence points. I will just tag on to that, King. If we're looking at my over-underachievers list here, now that the regular season has concluded, we do still have Army-Navy, which could affect this list, but it won't affect these teams. New Mexico State at 10-3, and three, my number one overachiever this year with regard to win-loss record, 4.2 more wins than I projected coming into this year. Just absolutely phenomenal. At one point, this, te- this team was 2-3. and three. They've run off seven straight after their bye. It's just incredible. New Mexico State, my number one overachiever. Liberty at 12-0, and 0, number six on my overachiever list. Both of these teams should be very proud of the seasons that they've had. Great accomplishments, King. I'm going to join you. I'm taking Liberty. I'm taking them for eight confidence points. I remember when we started the podcast in 21, Kelly, we were, it was a weekly basis, make fun of New Mexico State. Like they yeah. were the bottom of the barrel in FBS. Nobody wanted to talk about them. Horrific. So number one, most deserving. It's been really impressive what Jerry Kill has done with the program. It is very impressive. We'll see how long he's there with how quickly players and coaches move around now. Man, if, if you're looking for a coach, someone who's really turned it around at New Mexico State, it's been it's been remarkable. King, our other game on Friday night, it is in the Pac-12. It is Oregon against Washington. This is a neutral site game. It's in Las Vegas. Oregon, number five in the committee's rankings. Washington, number three. King, Oregon is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. What do you think here? Yeah, the tables have turned here. And I will just say this is easily my favorite Power 5 conference matchup of the weekend. The SEC game is going to be massive between those two, just absolute juggernauts. But from an intriguing matchup standpoint, a bit of rivalry here with a lot of offensive firepower. This is definitely the one that I'm most looking forward to this weekend. And I really don't have a ton to add to what we already discussed on the show. It's obviously a rematch between these two teams. Oregon has been a wagon. Washington's been a little up and down in the last month. Kelly, you said last week that you didn't think anyone has played better than Oregon these this last month or so, and I am in 100% agreement with you on that. And I think it's pretty much just plain and simple. I do think Oregon is going to win the game this weekend because they have a bit better defense. We know Washington's a pass-oriented offense. They're not really great at running the football. They average about four and a half yards per carry, but they do have a really solid offensive line that they can run behind. But this is really not something that they can rely on consistently. They won the first go around in the game rushing under 100 yards, but I really am sticking to my guns in this one. I say if Oregon is able to control that run game again, I don't think there's any chance Washington wins this game. And I think The difference in the last game, in my opinion, was Oregon's really inability to convert on those fourth downs. They were 0 for 3, a couple in Washington in territory. They gave the Huskies those extra possessions, and they were able to capitalize that. Only had the single turnover from Washington as as well. I mean, Washington is a very good offensive football team. The receiver threats are as dynamic as they come, but I will continue to hype this Duck defense. I think it's the best in the Pac-12, and I think that Dan Lanning is going to have them ready to avenge this uh, loss earlier in the year. Bo Nix deserves an entire section about his play this last month. I'm not going to do that, but I do love the Ducks this week. I think they are the more complete football team. The defense is better, and that's what it's going to come down to in this game. So I am taking Oregon, and I'm taking them for five confidence points. There are a lot of similarities, King, between this Washington team and last year's TCU team. I've said this on X. I feel like Washington fans get offended by it. It's not an insult. TCU played for the national championship a year ago. Only Georgia had a better season than the Horn Frogs. It was an amazing year in Fort Worth in 2022, just as it's been an amazing year in Seattle in 2023. But there's no getting around it. Oregon is playing like the better team and has been since that loss in Seattle in week seven. Oregon has been my number one rated offense since week 10. And now the defense is playing at a season best level, number 14 nationally. The Ducks are my number three power rated team overall. Only Jacksonville State and Arizona have improved their power rating more since the preseason than Oregon King. Does this team have a top four resume? No. It's really not even close as things stand right now. I've talked about that at length. I'm not going to get into it here. Is this a top four best team? My numbers say yes. Flip that around and you get the Washington Huskies. Washington, a very deserving team with a strong resume. Are they a top four best team? Probably not. The Huskies are number one in my record achievement metric. There's just a 1% chance, a 1% chance 
that the average top 25 team would be undefeated against Washington's schedule. They're number three in my most deserving rankings. But from a power rating standpoint, there is a reason this spread here is more than a touchdown and pushing double digits. I have Washington power rated number 13. It's a spot they've held since week 10. The offense is elite. They have to be when you've got someone like Michael Penix, who's still in the Heisman conversation, playing at the level he is. They've been top five for me since week two on the offensive side of the ball. But this defense is merely top 40. Will it be enough to slow down Bo Nix and that Ducks offense away from Husky Stadium? That first game was at Washington. That made a big difference. I'm not convinced. Kinger, I'm taking Oregon in this game, and I'm taking them for six confidence points. Our next game, now we're on to the Saturday slate. We've got eight games on Saturday. It starts at noon. We're on ABC. It's Oklahoma State at Texas. The Cowboys number 18, the, the Longhorns number seven in the committee's rankings. Texas is a 14 and a half point favorite in this game. King, who do you like in the Big 12 championship? Well, Kelly, I think that there were maybe a handful of people out there that were really hoping to get this Oklahoma-Texas rematch in this game. But you have to give credit where it's due to Oklahoma State. This season has been a wild one for them, up and down all year long. Started terrible, looked great in October. November, they've been up and down. They battled BYU, like you said, last weekend. But they found ways to win games, and I think it's fair to say that this is probably one of Mike Gundy's best coaching jobs. And I somehow think the Cowboys have a shot to knock off the Longhorns this week because Oklahoma State, they have actually handled this series as of late. They've won nine of the last 14 meetings. The line's sitting at 14 and a half. I think my brain tells me, you know, Texas is probably going to win this game pretty big, but something inside is not allowing me to hop on the Longhorns here, right? And one key part of this is that Oklahoma State has been good as an underdog this season. They got four wins outright as a dog. If you look at Texas, yes, they did steamroll Texas Tech last week. They have had their fair share of games that they've dominated in the Big 12. They've got the best win on the year at Alabama, which we've already talked about. But they have been a lot of they have been in quite a few battles this year, and they've really not had any major blowouts against the upper echelon tier of Big 12 schools. I worry about some inconsistencies on with that Texas offense, particularly when they don't run the ball that well. But overall, this is a very solid unit, and the Oklahoma State defense is just not good by Big 12 standards. They're 10th and 12th in rushing and passes, respectively, in the conference. They allow 4.6 yards per carry. They've gotten gashed multiple times on the ground this year. So it would seem that it would be set up well for Texas to be really effective on offense, particularly in the running game. I mean, Quinn Ewers is going to have to play well. Oklahoma State has been decent at creating turnovers this year. Ewers has been pretty good at taking care of the ball. It's something to watch, but I, I think this game does set up well for Texas to score some points. And I think the matchup advantage is no doubt with the Longhorns offense here. And I believe the same could be said about their defense as well. This is the strongest unit in the Big 12. They got dudes at all three levels. But the difference maker in this is Oklahoma State does have Ollie Gordon, and they will ride him. He has found a way to keep them in games. They're getting good, just enough good quarterback play from Allen Bowman to help offset that run game. Quietly, he's third in the Big 12 in passing yards, but the interceptions have definitely been a problem for him. He's got 11 on the year, which is the second worst in the conference. You cannot be given Texas free possessions this week if Oklahoma State wants to have any chance to win this game. Texas only allowing 85 yards per game on the ground. I think that number is exceeded this week by Oklahoma State. I'm not ruling out Gundy and his ability to put them in, in offensive positions to be successful this week. I might look dumb for passing on Texas in this. I don't know if I can get myself to bet on Oklahoma State yet, but I think this is going to be a good football game, and I do think I lean the Cowboys with the points, but I am taking Texas to win the game, and I'm taking Texas with eight confidence points. Oklahoma State was picked to finish middle of the pack in the Big 12, King. I think I had them seventh in the projected standing, so right there in the middle of the Big 12. It's been a tremendous season in Stillwater. And two conference championship game appearances in three years, that's outstanding. Cowboy fans should be really proud of this program and this team. I mean, what Mike Gundy has done, I agree, King. He's one of the most underrated college and underappreciated college football coaches in the nation. I mean, in his tenure at Oklahoma State, they've had as many, you know, good seasons, high quality seasons with, with good records, rankings, high, like high power rated teams as they have really in their history prior to him combined. So what he's done for this program has really been great. And I'm anxious to see what he's able to do in the new look big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma. Of course, they're adding a bunch of teams previously from the PAC 12, but regardless of what I'm about to say, Oklahoma state, has had a tremendous season. Their fans should be very, very excited and proud of this team and this program. And it doesn't matter what happens in this game. It's been great and it should be celebrated because 
coming into the bye, this team was two and two. And they're coming off losses at home to South Alabama and on the road at Iowa State. If you would have told them then you'd be playing in Arlington, they absolutely would have taken it. But King, where do the Pokes have a significant and meaningful advantage in this game in particular? I, I'm really not sure. Texas has a top mm-hmm. 10 unit on both sides of the ball. It's the number eight defense. That's the best opposing defense. Oklahoma State's number 35 offense has seen all season. And it's worse on the other side where the Pokes rank number 52 defensively. Motivation, the motivation that's provided by being an underdog, that's real. And there's something to be said for that, as well as the potential of sending Texas packing from the Big 12 with a loss just like Oklahoma State did to the Sooners in Bedlam. But I'm not sure that's enough to get the job done in this game. Is it enough to cover the spread? Maybe. Is it enough to win the game outright? I don't know. Ollie Gordon's really good. Is he good enough to just carry this team to a very, very surprise victory? I'm not certain, King. I'm taking Texas in this game, and I'm taking them with nine confidence points. Also at noon on Saturday, we have the MAC Championship. This is up in Detroit, Michigan at Ford Field. Miami of Ohio won the East Division. They're 10-2 and on the year. Toledo is 11-1, and undefeated in MAC play this year, handing Miami their only loss of the regular season, King. Toledo's a 7.5-point favorite in this game. What do you think? Yeah, not a whole lot to add to this one either. You, you mentioned Toledo was the – already beat Miami once this season. And I just think they got too much offensive fire, firepower here. So I'm taking Toledo and I'm taking for seven confidence points. I'm going to touch on my over under achievers again here. Cause both these teams had great seasons, especially relative to expectations, Miami 10 and two, that's 2.8 more wins than my preseason realistic expectations projected. That makes the Red Hawks my number 12 overachiever this season for Toledo. They opened the year with a two point loss at Illinois. They ran the table the rest of the way, 2.3 more wins than I projected makes the Rockets my number 19 overachiever this year. Great seasons for both of these teams. Give me Toledo in this game for three confidence points. King, at 3 o'clock on Fox, we have the Mountain West Championship. This is Boise State playing on the road at UNLV. UNLV gets to host this one. They won the tiebreaker uh, that was needed out there in the Mountain West Conference. Boise State is a two-point favorite, King. What do you think? Boise State, back in the Mountain West Championship, and, and UNLV, credit to them. It's been a very excellent season for them, no doubt about it. And this is actually a game that I tend to think that I like UNLV as a home dog if 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 we're looking at this objectively. But I am scared. If I'm going to take them as a home dog, I got to take them as – I got to gamble with that as well. But that three-point line is scaring me just a little bit. It's mainly because of Ashton Genty. I don't know if he's going to play in this one. But if he gets going, he's the Mountain West Player of the Year. I'm not sure – UNLV has been pretty good against the run this year, but I'm not sure they got enough to slow down Boise. I think it makes sense that they are a favorite here. So I am going to take Boise State with two confidence points, but that game is absolutely something I'm looking at, and I might end up taking UNLV in on the line in that one. And if I do money line, but for the for the pick'em, we're going to take the Broncos. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I think San Jose State got a raw deal here by my conference record achievement metric. The Spartans six and two conference record was more impressive or more difficult and they to beat achieve. UNLV. What's that? Didn't the Spart- Didn't San Diego or didn't San Jose State just beat UNLV last Friday? They they did. They yes, did, and that's right. And so that's what the controversy is. That's why they got left out. Where we don't well, understand why the, the computer rankings left them out, right? Correct. Yeah. So we had three teams tied at six and two atop atop the standings here. Someone has to get left out. It was San Jose State by the tiebreakers they have in place. For me, the Spartans six and two conference record was more impressive or more difficult to achieve than either Boise State's or UNLV's. So my plea once again to conferences. Please, let's use more modern computer metrics in your tiebreaker policies. I'm happy to assist. Side note for anyone looking uh, for help in that area. But for this game, King, it is Boise State. It is UNLV. Uh, The offenses, they're the best units in the game. They both rank in the top 40 by my numbers. And while the Boise State defense is top 70, the UNLV defense is only number 87. I expect that the Broncos' ability to take advantage on that side of the ball will be the difference in this one. I'm going to take Boise State, but I'm only going to take them for one confidence point in this game, King. All right, King. Four o'clock, CBS, number one, Georgia, number eight, Alabama, the SEC championship game in Atlanta, Georgia right now, at least what I'm looking at time of recording Tuesday night is Georgia is a six point favorite King. What do you make of this game? Which is absolutely massive, obviously in the SEC, but also with CFP implications. Definitely game of the weekend. No doubt. 
two juggernaut football programs here, and we get another chapter in this chapter in the Saban Kirby Smart side here. Both teams, I think, might have gotten caught looking a little bit ahead last week. We know we talked about how crazy ending the Iron Bowl fourth quarter touchdown for Bama to beat Auburn, and then you said Georgia was fighting with Georgia Tech for a lot of that game, but finally arrived at the big showdown. I can't wait to watch this one on Saturday. The last loss for the Georgia Bulldogs actually was in this 21, 2021 SEC title game in Atlanta where they did lose to the Alabama Crimson Tide. I've been hyping up this Bama defense these last few weeks, and they go out last week versus Auburn, and they really did not play well at all. I might have to apologize to Peyton Thorne a little bit, as Shaq says. I must not have been familiar with your game. Did not realize Thorne had the legs. But that trap zone scheme, the read option, they were torching Bama. The mobile QBs have definitely gotten them a little bit this year. They don't really have that issue with Carson Beck this weekend, though. Carson Beck, he's been great this year. Definitely came in underrated, and I think people are now absolutely realizing he's a very good college quarterback. Georgia scored 30-plus points in seven straight games. Beck has at least 250 yards passing in six of those seven. The only game he has not reached that mark was last weekend versus Georgia Tech, but the Dogs absolutely had the ground game running, so there was really not a need for them to throw the ball in that one. Bama secondary, they're very good. They did play well last week, but the Georgia offense has some juice in this passing game. I think the Georgia O-line should be solid enough to give Beck the time that he needs. So I think if Georgia can get that run game going a little bit, I expect them to score quite a few points in this one. But I also think we're going to see Alabama to continue to make strides on offense as well, and I think we are going to see them score as well. Alabama's really been trying to commit to run the football. We've seen some improvement in this area as the season has gone on, and we've seen this Georgia team give up at least 150 yards on the ground the last three weeks, including over 200 last week to Georgia Tech. I think this is something that Nick Saban is going to commit to. They don't really have the wide receiving crew and talent to win consistently in the pass game, so I think the run is going to be the main focus this week, and obviously Milrow is going to be a big part of that game plan as well. They're going to need his legs when plays break down, his scrambling ability. Bama does have some quality receivers. They got Georgia transfer Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond, but this Georgia secondary is legit. They are tied for the conference lead with 12 interceptions. I like that matchup for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, Saban has a dog, man, six points. I don't know how I can't bet Alabama in this one. I, I really don't. But something tells me that I'm going to bet Bama and Georgia's going to find a way to win this game by 10 to 14 points. I think Georgia's going to score 30 this week. My actual favorite bet in this is the over. I think they have the guys in the trenches to win this more consistently. And unless Bama can get that running game going, I don't think they've got enough dynamic on offense to beat Georgia. So that being said, what do I do here, Kelly? I'm going to take Georgia to win the game. I, I think they are the better, more complete football team. I'm taking them for four confidence points. That over is going to be likely – but I also might bet Bama plus six as well, too. I don't know. I, I can't get myself to do it. I think Georgia's going to win, but I know if I bet Georgia, Alabama and Nick Saban are going to just crush my heart. It happens every single time. <laughs> it's as clear. I got as fired up gonna... a little bit there. Like... No, it's it's just, I mean, de death taxes and Bama crushing George, uh, Kinger's heart, right? Like that's just the way this thing goes. The two giants of the conference, the two favorites coming into the year, clashing in Atlanta with, in all likelihood, a trip to the CFP on the line. It doesn't get bigger. It doesn't get better. Georgia is the better team. My numbers tell me that, and my eyes tell me that as well. But I said the same thing, King, in 2021 on this show and really anywhere that anyone would listen. And Alabama went into Mercedes-Benz and beat the Bulldogs. So this isn't some foregone conclusion, in my opinion, that Georgia is just going to roll in this game. And as you mentioned, that is the last game that Georgia lost. That's absolutely incredible. King, I think back to the 2021 National Championship game between these two teams. And I'm thinking about you know how much fun I had at that game. And it was such a great environment. The loudest I've ever heard Lucas Oil Stadium. Like, no offense, Colts fans, myself included. No offense, Big Ten Championship game fans, because I've been in there for a lot of those games. No offense, any high school football game, state championship that takes place in there. Now, they don't fill it up. But, I, I mean, I've seen soccer games in that. I've seen everything in that stadium. It has never been as loud as the national championship game in 2021 between two SEC teams playing up here in Yankee country in Indiana, like north of the Mason-Dixon. They all came in force, and my goodness, it was loud. That was so long ago. Georgia hasn't lost since before that. Like it's been so long since Georgia's lost. They're not used to this thing. King, the best and most even matchup in this game should be the number four Georgia offense against the number six Alabama defense. I'm very excited to see how Carson Beck performs against the strongest defense he's faced yet. The difference in this game is likely to be made on the other side. The only unit that does not rank in the top six nationally by my numbers is the Alabama offense, which comes in at number 15, but Milrow and company have improved significantly since being ranked nearly number or ranked all the way down at number 29 early in the season. Will they be able to score enough points against this number five ranked Georgia defense? That's the big question. King, I talked about this. 
Georgia is the undefeated two-time defending national champs. It's been for two years, to be exact, since they've lost. But in the back of their minds, in this game, I feel like they have to know there's a scenario out there, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, which knocks them out of the CFP with a loss. It's the only time, King, all year, and even think back to last year, because even if they lost in the SEC championship game last year to LSU, Georgia's likely still in the playoff because like Ohio State got that last spot, 11-1, and not a conference champion. Georgia would have been 12-1, not a conference champion. And I think the committee thought Georgia was better. Georgia would have made the playoff last year, even with a loss in that game. So there was there has not been a moment since Georgia played for the national championship game in 2021 against Alabama where they thought in a game, if we lose, we lose our chance to win the national championship. That is now in the back of their mind. And I am curious what if anything, that pressure, if you will, has, what effect that pressure has on their play. We haven't seen it. And who knows? Maybe they're going to block it out because really good teams can do that. But these are college kids at the end of the day who haven't played under this kind of pressure. Um, let's see. It's in the back of their mind. You lose this game, there's a path that we're out. There's still a path they're in if they get results other places. But there's a path they're out too. We haven't seen that. I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I've got Georgia. I'm taking them for two confidence points in this game, King. At 4 o'clock also on Saturday, this one's over on ABC. So while the SEC game's on CBS, this one's on ABC. We've got the American Athletic Conference Championship. Two undefeated teams in conference play. SMU is going on the road to Tulane, a number 22 committee-ranked Tulane team here to, to contest the American Athletic Championship game. King, Tulane is a four-point favorite in this one. What are you thinking here? Yeah, Tulane back hosting the conference championship, second straight year in a row. You said undefeated in conference play. The winner of this game will likely end up being the G5 representative for the New York New Year's Six Bowl. SMU looking for their first conference title in 40 years. The injuries here are putting a little bit of a damper on this one, Kelly. SMU quarterback Preston Stone broke his leg in blowout win versus Navy last week. He's going to be unavailable to go this weekend, which is really unfortunate. Stone has been really solid for the Mustangs this year. He's not the most accurate guy, but he's done a good job taking care of the ball. He's got 28 touchdowns, six interceptions on the year. SMU does have a good duo of running backs. they got Miami transfer Jalen Knight as well as LJ Johnson Jr. Both these guys are up averaging over five yards per carry this, this year, and they're going to need to have a big day in order for them to win this one. Now, the issue is, is this Tulane defense is elite against the one run. They are the number one unit in the American Conference. They come in sixth nationally. The secondary has been a little bit of an issue for them. The SMU passing offense would typically match up very well here. That wide receiver room for SMU, very good, very deep, very much by committee. They've got five guys with over 400 yards receiving this year. They've got redshirt freshman Kevin Jennings starting. I'm not sure if he's really going to be able to get the passing game going to the magnitude that they need to win this game. So the run game is going to be critical, but you have to give the matchup advantage to Lane in that one. Now, it's the opposite case for SMU, though. They've got a very good secondary. They've got the number one ranked secondary in the American Conference, allowing under six yards per attempt. But they also pair that with the number two ranked rushing defense in this conference. So this is a good group across the board. And Tulane does not bring a lot of firepower offensively to this one. It, this could be a game we are looking at a very low scoring, grinded out type game. I will say I'm normally a guy who likes to fade the backup QBs. But something is telling me in this one, even with the backup QB, I think I like SMU enough to win this one. I think the defense is the better not the better of the two units, but I think they are the more complete team here. And I think they are good enough running the ball that it's going to make it difficult on the green wave this week. So I think if they could even get competent quarterback play. It doesn't even be great. They just need to be able to th show the threat of the passing game, connect on a deep player too. I think they got enough. And I don't think Tulane is, is, is offensively sound enough to consistently score on this SMU defense. So I'm going to take SMU with the upset and I'm taking them for one confidence point. Man, it's interesting, King. Because I'm right there with you, even without even without Stone, even at Ullman Stadium, I think the wrong team is favored in this game. Even if you downgrade the SMU offense significantly, it's still just about a wash with the Tulane defense that I have ranked number 34. And on the other side, the SMU defense, they're playing at a season best level. They rank number 35 in the country. They're going up against Tulane offense that currently ranks a season worst number 58. I mean... How many points are you giving for Stone here? How many points are you giving for home field advantage? M my numbers suggest with a healthy Stone, which obviously he's not, even on the road, my numbers suggest this is SMU by a touchdown. 
You're saying it's too, you're saying it's Tulane minus four. Yeah, that's let's add 11. SMU to the card right now, Kelly. Let's do it. That, that, that's an eleven you're just validating point swing. What I'm doing, yeah. yeah, I mean that's an eleven point swing. No quarterback plus home field is worth eleven points in college football. It's just I, I think the wrong team's favored. I might end up looking silly for this, but I just think SMU wins it outright. Now, King, you said Tulane has the inside track to returning to the New Year Six as the G five rep, but the only other time the Green Wave faced a top fifty power rated team this season. They lost to Ole Miss at home. I'm not saying SMU's Ole Miss. They are not, especially without Stone at quarterback. But Tulane, they don't have any impressive wins, if you will, from a from a power rating standpoint of their opponents. And they really have been sneaking by, minus the Florida Atlantic game two weeks ago. They've been, you know, kind of sneaking by the the UTSA game. That 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 was a weird game with the number of turnovers that they had last week. But hey, credit to them. They found a way to win. They're the highest ranked G5 team for the committee. You win this one, you're back in the New Year's Six. But I'm not buying it. I'm taking SMU, and I'm going to take them for four confidence points in this game, King. Okay, the other game at 4 o'clock. This is the third one. It's over on ESPN. It's in the Sun Belt, and it's another game that's at the home field of the uh, number one conference seed here, if you will. We've got App State at 8-4. and four. They won the East Division in the Sun Belt since JMU was ineligible for the conference championship, and you've got Troy out of the West at 10-2. and two. Uh, The numbers right now, Troy is a 6.5-point favorite in Vegas. King, what do you make? App State's a frisky team here, but I think I'm going to go Troy with this one. Not maybe a little higher than I'd like. I think they got enough offense here to, to get this done. So I'm taking Troy with six confidence points. King, if I look at my preseason realistic expectations for this conference, I had in the East App State just a smidge. I mean, a tenth of a conference game behind Coastal Carolina. So I had App State right there with Coastal as the favorites in the East. In the West, I did have Troy. Um, so I'm not surprised Troy came out of the West. The East was such a jumbled mess this year. It felt like a hot potato, almost like the big 10 West. No, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. App State's the one holding it at the end with James Madison, not being there. If we look at the seasons, these teams had App State, they got it together here at the end, winning five straight games to close the year. That did put them on the plus side of my over underachiever list, but Troy, a great year, 10 and two, two games, more wins, two more wins than I expected, uh, in my preseason realistic expectations puts them number 22 nationally on the overachievers list give me troy in this game and i'll take them for five confidence points king let's go to the big 10 this game's taking place right in my backyard i can see lucas oil stadium from my office window at work i've worked this game in the past i've attended this game as a fan in the past i know my way around lucas oil stadium trust me king i'm trying to figure out the angle how does number 16 iowa knock off number two michigan michigan a 23 and a half point favorite I'm not sure if there's anything in the building that can get it done for the Hawkeyes, King, at least that I've seen. Maybe they can find some magic. What do you think, King? This game's at Fo- on Fox at 8 p.m. on Saturday night. Number two, Michigan. Number 16, Iowa. Kelly, I'll just be blunt again. There's no chance Iowa gets this done. And I don't know if you saw any of the pregame <laughs> antics this week. Cade McNamara referring to Michigan as the other school. He's supposedly given Iowa all the inside information on Michigan. I'll just say good luck to them and let's see how that works out because this is going to be a blowout. This is likely going to be the worst game entertainment wise of the weekend. Unfortunately, that was the case last year when Michigan blew out my Boilermakers. We've got a massive favorite in Michigan here and they're not going to have any issues with Iowa this weekend. Now the Brian Ferentz era is coming to an end. Very sad. I know everybody who's an Iowa fan is sad to see him go. So we'll see if old Brian brings to the table this, what he brings to the table this week, see if he digs into a bag of tricks to try and find a way to score on this Michigan defense. Now, the problem is they don't really have anything to work with. We know how good this Michigan defense is. They once again look very strong versus a good offensive opponent in Ohio State last week. And the front seven for the Wolverines just playing incredibly well as a unit, allowing under four yards per carry, which that's where it starts for this Michigan team. You're not going to be able to beat them if you're one-dimensional. And Iowa is almost as one-dimensional as they come, but they're not really good at anything. They don't have good quarterback play. They're dead last in total offense in the Big Ten, dead last in passing offense. They're the ninth-ranked rushing offense. The really only hope this week is to be able to find a way to break off player two, and I just don't think they're good enough to get anything going consistently. I will be surprised if Iowa scores more than seven points in this game. It's an uphill battle for them. I saw the over-under. Kelly, I don't know if this is true or not. This could be a, a graphic on Twitter that I saw. The first half over-under is a half point for the Iowa Hawkeyes this week. So that tells you what Vegas is thinking their capabilities are. I mean, that, that'll probably never happen again in, in a football game, at least in, in a conference championship game, that's for sure. 
But Iowa's defense has carried them, as always. It's a really good unit. There's NFL talent once again. But I don't think they have the ability to keep Michigan under 14, maybe 17 points in this one. I don't think there's any chance that that happens. And that's the only way that Iowa's going to win this game. So the turnovers are going to have to be key for them. They're going to have to find a way to turn over JJ, get a fumble or two, because setting up the field position for that offense is, is going to be critical. But Michigan's been great at taking care of the ball. McCarthy's still playing really sound football. So the advantage here is with Michigan. And Michigan's be able to play their game. They'll be able to control the time of possession. I'm taking Michigan minus 23. The line is was sitting at 23 and a half now, Kelly. I got it 23 earlier. I think we're looking at a 35-7, 42-7 football game here. I think Michigan's the lock of the weekend, in my opinion. So I'm taking the Wolverines, and I am taking them with 10 confidence points. If the first half team total over under for Iowa is really a half point, I mean, I I, I know Penn State shut them out. Um and I know that's when they had Cooper DeGene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he, he can score some points on defense or on special teams. Maybe that's what they need. I know he's not playing in this one. Uh, like, I don't know, King. I'd have to go over a half a point. Like, I, are you going to get shut out in the first half? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, the fact that you that it's, that it's, you have to think about it, that is, that is really, really funny. I don't have a lot to add, King. Michigan's my number one power-rated team. They have been since week nine. Iowa's offense is power-rated number 123. It's been sub-100 since week five. Here, How about this? How does Iowa win this game? They win the turnover battle by at least three, mm-hmm. and, and they score at least two defensive and or special teams <laughs> touchdowns. Okay, that's, a, that's, that's a formula. There's a formula right there. If that sounds like a lot, it's because it is. I mean, there's a reason my numbers assign just a 6% chance of an Iowa upset in this game. Michigan will win this game and head to their third consecutive CFP. King, the most intriguing part of this whole night might be when Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti has to hand the trophy to Jim Harbaugh, a man that he's just suspended for three games, which can we talk about that for a second? Like Harbaugh was suspended for half of this season. Remember, he missed the first three games of the year as well. You were suspended for half the year in a 12-game sample. Like, okay, I'm just going to put that out there for whatever that is worth to anybody. That seems remarkable. When's the last time a coach was suspended for half the year for for multiple violations? Like, still has a job. Separate violations. And King, not just still has a job, is potentially looking at a third consecutive conference championship, a third consecutive trip to the CFP, a chance to make it to the national championship game for the first time since night. Well, it wasn't a national championship game in 1997, but a chance to win your first national championship since 1997. Um, it's just interesting food for thought. I'm not going to comment further because people will say, Oh, you're just salty because you're an Ohio state fan. No, like objectively, if this was any other program, I'd say the same thing. If it was Ohio state, I'd say it about Ohio state. Your coach has been suspended for 50% of the year. Yikes. Uh, that said, I'm taking Michigan, and I'm taking them for 10, 10 confidence points, King. So uh, we've got one more game to pick, King. This game, also at 8 o'clock on Saturday evening. It's over on ABC. It is number 14, Louisville, taking on number 4, Florida State. This game's in Charlotte. It is the only Power 5 Conference Championship game that is taking place outdoors at an, at an outdoor location. I do believe there might be some rain in the forecast, if I saw that correctly, for this one. Either way, Florida State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Kinger, what do you think? Well, we talked about Jeff Brown last week, Kelly, and he did it to us again. You had to remind me about the pit game earlier this year, 10-point lead in the third quarter versus Kentucky last week, and everything really just kind of seemed to fall apart for Louisville late in the game there. The run defense, which has been so good all year, carried them once again last week, but the turnovers got them late, some offensive stalls. It's going to be tough to bounce back from this week knowing that their, their chances of, a, of college football playoff at this point are all but eliminated, but there still is a whole lot of line on the line for Cardinals this week. Jeff Brown, New Year's Six Bowl. Obviously, that's plenty of a goal to, to work towards here. And we can be honest and say that this Florida State team is absolutely not the same team without Jordan Travis. It's a really unfortunate situation. But Tate Rotomaker does not bring that passing ability, does not bring that dynamic threat to that offense. So they're in a tough spot here. Now, the run game was huge for them versus the Gators last week. Things seem to go well for them when they get Trey Benson involved. They typically find some success when he's touching the ball. But I think the Cardinals match up pretty well with them in this space. Florida State definitely has the athletes outside, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman. They have the ability to attack Louisville in the secondary, but I'm just not sure how effective we're going to see that passing game be with Tate Rodemaker at QB. I don't think they're going to be able to rely on that. And if Louisville stops the run, Florida State could be in some trouble like they were down in Gainesville last weekend. And Brom has this Louisville offense in a good spot. We know he's such a very good offensive coach. For the first time, he's got a very balanced team. They're fourth in the passing game in the, in the ACC. They're fifth in the run. 
They have playmakers, and they have the ability to take some big shots, big plays down the field. 1,000-yard rusher, Jawar Burton. They've got a big play threat outside Jamari Thrash, averaging almost 15 yards per reception. That's an explosive guy. He's a lot of fun to watch. And Florida State has a good defense, but this year, some of those big chunk plays, 30, 40 yarders, they've been a little, little, bit, little bit of a problem for them. They're towards the back half of the ACC in those big explosive plays. And, and although the pass rush is elite, the run defense is not quite to that level. So I think the Knowles do have the advantage on that D-line, but if they don't play discipline, they don't get to Plummer, the quarterback, I think Louisville is, is, is going to move the ball on them. And, and Plummer and company, they're going to find the right times to take the shots. I think this is going to be a very closely contested game. There, I worry a little bit about Louisville falling apart kind of late game like they did last week. Florida State's got the better talent across the board, but without Jordan Travis, I think this is absolutely a toss-up. I'm leaning Louisville with the points here as well. It's Jeff Brom versus a top-10 opponent, so we know his history there. So upset could absolutely be lurking this week. I'm going to take Florida State for three. I don't feel good about it. I I want Louisville to win this game, but Florida State's a more talented team across the board, and I think they they're going to scrap and find out a way find a way to win this game. Earlier, I said Washington reminded me a bit of 2022 TCU. Honestly, Florida State does too. And without Travis, perhaps this FSU squad is power rated more in the same category of the 2015 Michigan State team, uh, a team that deservingly made the CFP with a strong resume, but wasn't power rated at an elite level. Now, maybe that's unfair to Florida State. Maybe they're not quite as, as lowly power rated as that Michigan State team. But without Travis, I think the, the question can be asked. I don't believe Jordan Travis or any college quarterback is worth seven points to the spread. My number with a healthy Travis would be Florida State minus nine and a half. So, I mean, that's a whole touchdown. I I don't think he's worth that. So the model does suggest there might be some value in backing Florida State here if you're laying less than a field goal. It was only one game, but the offensive regression for Florida State with Rodemaker at quarterback was noticeable as the Knowles offensive unit rank fell from number nine to number 12. That's a pretty steep drop for one game this late in the year. The Florida State offense probably isn't even the number 12 unit in the country now uh, without Travis, but the Louisville defense, it's only number 26. Can the Florida State offense be top 30 good this week? I I think so. Even if they can't, The defense should be able to pick up the slack. The Knowles are up to a season-best number seven on that side of the ball. They should be able to dictate the game to a certain extent against this Louisville offense, which is number 26. I picked Louisville third in the ACC this season and the preseason due in large part to the easy schedule. They did me one better. They reached the conference championship game. It's been an outstanding first year for Jeff Brown and his return to his alma mater. The cards are number 17 on my overachievers list. Florida State, for what it's worth, number 13 on the overachiever list. With everything on the line for Florida State, I think the defense rises to the occasion. I think Rodemaker gives them enough to win this game, even if it isn't by the nine and a half points my model suggests. Uh, Again, I'm not explicitly accounting for Travis's absence in that they might not even cover the spread. But I do think Florida State gets it done. I'm rolling with Florida State. I think they're going to make it to the CFP. Give me the Seminoles for seven confidence points, King. All right, King, we made it through uh, all 10 conference championship games. We've given our straight up picks. We've given our confidence points with them. The only thing left to do is talk about best bets. Kinger, do you have any of those to share? Michigan minus 23. I'm absolutely going to expand the card like I always do. I've got some leans, as I talked about in, in a few of these games tonight, but nothing officially locked in other than that at the moment. We'll spend some time these next few days, get that done, and then we'll absolutely release our final season numbers ahead of the bowl season, final gambling record and everything like that. We're just going to ride with Michigan for now. A few more plays to come. King, it has been a very fun 2023 college football season. We're not done. Of course, there's bowl season yet to come, but um, I really do feel like this is the inflection point from what's quote normal college football to making the transition to the postseason for 2023. I know conference championship is postseason. I, I, I know but it's just different in bowl season because the player mm-hmm. opt outs, the coach movement, different levels of motivation, which teams are on vacation early, all that stuff comes into play. We don't have that during conference championship games. So this does feel like the last quote, normal week of picking games and breaking it all down. It's been fun as always, King really appreciate your insight. You make me smarter with the, with the info that you bring to the table, not looking at the numbers, but looking at the teams, the matchups, the breakdowns. I love it makes me better. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been such a fun year, dude. And uh, we'll be back, right? We'll be doing bowl season. Uh, but just wanted to say, I just wanted to say, I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you, man. Another regular season in the books, championship weekend. 
I love the direction we got going, man. Another awesome season. Thank you to all your guests. And you say I'm making you smarter. You don't got to lie to our listeners, man. We all know who the smart one is in the podcast and, and who's the guy just trying to stay afloat here. I appreciate you, man. I'm glad we got another season under our belt. Ton of fun doing this with you and look forward to bowl season and ending the season on a high note. I wasn't blowing smoke. I mean it. But with that in mind, too, uh, saying, speaking of appreciation, thank you to the listeners. You guys have been tremendous. It's been fun to see the podcast grow over the course of this year, over the course of the last few years. We appreciate you listening. If you're still tuned in at this time, you are one of our P1 listeners. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Until next time, this has been the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. Enjoy conference championship game weekend of the 2023 college football season.